0: First John chapter three, verse 11. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren he who does not love abides in death everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him we know love by this that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him how does the love of god abide in him little children let us not love with word or with tongue but in deed and truth father we thank you for these words we pray that as we go through them word by word phrase by phrase lord that they would come alive to us may we hear your voice through them lord get our hearts in a place that's right uh, to receive instruction correction encouragement from you lord we love you and we praise you and we ask this in christ's good name amen so when i look at this section and as john we're really getting into the latter half of his letter he is the apostle that's known as the apostle of love this man john who the gospel show is this sort of radical young um just harsh elitist young guy by the end of his life has totally been transformed by the love of christ that the message of jesus's love for one another had so impacted him that he no longer wanted to be known as john he wanted to be known simply as this man whom the Lord has loved and that the love of God has so transformed his life. And he saw that it was important for believers to, to manifest this love. To share this love that God had given to them. It's been reported through church history that near the end of John's life in his 90s. He was still preaching to the churches that he would travel around. When he couldn't walk, they would have to help him up onto the stage and place him into a chair. And his message was simple. You are children of God. Love one another. That was his message. When I look at all of John's writings, they can be summarized into two points. Believe upon the Lord Jesus as your savior and love one another powerful simple it's not our understanding it's our it's our applying of these truths that he gives us in our culture we've so minimized this word love love is described as an emotion uh something that comes and goes with with the tide it's been cheapened that i confess that i use love towards in and out burgers But so often with the burger and this illustration will break down, but every illustration, I love this in and out burger until I'm done with it. Then I'm going to move on to the next one. (laughs) And then I love that in and out burger. And so often this is what people do in relationships. Oh, I love you until you no longer fulfill my purposes. And then I'm going to move on to the next thing that fulfills this emotion or creates this emotion that stirs into me. And this is not love as the Bible describes. Love is this, I'm going to love you and, and I'm going to stay there. I'm going to do what's best for you. I'm, lo- love is not to fulfill my best interest. It's for your best interest. And so as he begins this section, he ties back into the very beginning of his letter. Both this letter and the gospel from the beginning. He said, this is the message you have heard from the beginning. The only word these these the words used here tie in almost identically with back there. It says from the beginning, the message that you've heard from the beginning, that you would love one another. So so where's he pulling this from? If we were to go to the Gospels, uh, Matthew 22, uh, why don't we head to Matthew 22? I do want to point out, I understand that it can be difficult finding places in the Bible we have him behind me and part of the struggle of of flipping through the message and trying to figure the the places in the bible it's very intentional on my part because part of this is it helps you orientate yourself to the bible of getting the lay of the land and so if you have difficulty don't be embarrassed it's it's part of the learning process um and so in Matthew 22, verse 34, Jesus was approached by the Pharisees, the teacher of the law, the religious leaders. And the Pharisees heard. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, now the Sadducees were the sort of opposing group. Uh, to the pharisees the pharisees were like the literalists they they believed the bible for what it said the sadducees didn't believe in the miracles resurrections Um, some have suggested that it's easy to remember who the sadducees were by the little frame the sadducees were sadducee because they didn't believe in the resurrection and so they were kind of warring groups within um, the jewish system and it said that jesus had silenced the sadducees and they gathered themselves together they wanted to silence jesus the sadducees were ineffective in silencing jesus and so they came together to say how can we stump jesus how can we silence him the sadducees really tried and they failed but maybe we can get this guy to be silenced and they asked one of them a lawyer that would be a scribe Asked him a question and this isn't necessarily a lawyer that chases um, ambulances or just from the law. This is this is one who looked at the law, the Bible, and they told the Pharisees and scribes how it was to be handled, uh, uh, how the law applied within the scriptures. They were on the top tier of authority of scriptures. And so they send one of their best to Jesus And they asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? There are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. They, with those 613, laid out probably 10 to 20 commandments per each one. They had this whole huge legal system of how you were to worship God. And they said, of all of them which one is the most important there's no way he's going to be able to get this one right because whatever he says we'll be able to will be able to, to silence him through his mistake and he said to them quoting from the scriptures deuteronomy 6 5 you shall love the lord god with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind this is the great and foremost commandment if you want to know the greatest commandment of all of them love god with all that you have and the second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments depend the whole law and prophets So he's saying, upon these two commands, to love God with all your heart and to love one another as you love yourselves. This is the keystone of the whole Old Testament law. And he silenced them. This is powerful. Later in John 13, if you'll turn over to John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. In John 13 is the beginning of the Lord's Supper. I've said this multiple times, but it's okay repeating myself john highlighted the lord's supper more than any other apostle any other of the gospels he devotes a quarter of his writings to the lord's supper and john 13 begins by jesus starting out the lord's supper by washing the apostles feet he does this as a as an example to them of what it means to be a servant leader that he being god and is the messiah that he would humble himself and take this very low task reserved for the lowest of all slaves within the home. This was not something that anybody would want to do in their culture. I would probably suggest in our culture either. And as he unfolds from this, as he gets down to John chapter 13, verse 33, Jesus then looks at them and he says, Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and I, as I said to the Jews, now as I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you. Okay, this is something different. This is a commandment that, 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 that hasn't been said before. He says that you love one another, even as I have loved you. Now, it's, it's not different in the sense that the old commandment was to love one another as you love each other. Like to, 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 that I'm to love one person in the way that I want to be loved. But he sort of ups the standard by saying, not as you want to do, but as I have loved you. When well, he just washed their feet, taking this very humble position. Within 24 hours, he would be hanging on a cross, taking the world's sin upon himself. In Philippians 2 This great Christological passage about that Jesus dying on the cross, that he humbled himself, that every knee will bow. The whole passage starts, I believe, in the fifth verse saying, have this attitude in yourselves. And it's the standard of love that Christ set. It's a sacrificial love it's one that not looks after my own best interest, but when I love somebody else, it's looking out for their best interest and not doing what's convenient for me, but what's best for them. It may even cause me great inconvenience, but I still have to love them by this standard. Verse 35, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, this evening had so much impact on john i believe i don't think we'll see anything in scriptures where john says oh you know what that at the lord's supper it had a great impact in my life and i was changed forever but when i look at what he he devoted to this night and then when i look at what he says in these four chapters of john in contrast with his other writings so much of his other writings come out of what jesus said to him He says, if you love one another, the world will know you're of my disciples, that you're a part of me. That John, till his dying day, his message was reduced to that. Love one another. That this is critical. And so we come back to John, 1 John chapter 3. And we look at this again case for this is the message which you've heard from the beginning john wrote about it in the gospel of john it's what john's heard about from christ himself he continually tells them this message to love one another that we should love one another not as cain who was of the evil one and slew his brother whoa whoa no, nowhere in First John does he quote anything from the Old Testament. This is his one Old Testament reference, and he says, "You know, we've heard it from the beginning that we should love one another and not love each other like Cain. What's that all about? What's who's Cain? What would he do? How does this fit into our story?" Well, to refresh our memories, go back to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter four. Uh, genesis is one of these very critical books it lays the beginnings is what genesis means it's the origin it lays the framework for so much in the bible genesis chapter three is following the fall of man as it ends we see the curse go out chapter three ends with that the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the tree of life Prior to the fall, humans were designed to live forever with no death, no sin, no stain. Then sin entered, changed the body, death entered the scene. The second law of thermodynamics were moving from order to disorder entered. And God in his grace then protected the humanity from being able to live forever. That death is actually a form of God's grace. It's a way of being upgraded in our bodily frame if you're in Christ And then chapter four begins. Now, the man that's Adam had relations with his wife, Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man child with the help of the Lord. She basically said, it's a boy. We have a boy. Man child sounds kind of cool. I try to inject this into my life now. You know, it's like, hey, there's a man child here. This is let's get sticks and dirt and have some fun. It's a man child. She's there's joy here. It's a it, it's a boy. Again, she gave birth to Abel and Abel was a keeper of flocks and Cain was a tiller of the ground. So as these boys grow up and they take their vocations, we see that Cain was was more of a farmer and and Abel was more of a rancher. So he maintained the animals and and Cain maintained the, the growing the lettuce and the, the stuff for salads. All of those other things. (laughs) So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. This story fascinates me As, as you are reading this. Prior to this, there seems to be no instruction given for, hey, do this offering. Here are the the requirements for this offering. We we know what would come. And not really much is said here concerning what did he do wrong. But clearly God was happy with the one and not happy with the other one. And with the other one, Cain, as he was dissatisfied with his act of worship, God goes and talks to Cain. As soon as I find my, but for Cain, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. God let Cain know, listen, how you handled this was unacceptable. When he heard this, he got angry. His countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? It's like what's going on with you? Why are you so upset? <laughs> i've i've come to you i've talked to you i've let you know i've instructed you what you did wrong so that you could you can make right we're kind of left not knowing at this point what's going on or why he's so upset why are you angry and why is your continents fallen if you do well will your it will not your continents be lifted up and if you do not do well. Sin is crouching out the door and its desire is for you. But you must master it. God looks at Casey. You're angry. You're angry because you haven't done right. And if you do right, your continence, you'll feel better. Do right. This sin that is mastering you, you've got to master it. This week, I am. I, um, with chaplaincy i spend a lot of time with officers and and so i'll sit in their car and i'll go riding with them and i I, this one guy i've been riding a lot with speaking to him about things of the lord be praying for him his his wife's a believer he's not but he's doing i'm putting him through like seminary coursework i feel sorry for the pastor that he sits under when he finally does come to believe because he he needs depth and so all of a sudden we're we're going to this call we get this call that a lady had walked into a clinic and she was very upset because the doctor wouldn't give her medicine for like discouragement or depression The, the medical clinic had called and then said hey listen she called back and she said something about a note and and we think she might be suicidal and so we went to the clinic we backtracked the steps to see if we could find this person we eventually end up at the house another officer is there and she he says listen i can hear them screaming and yelling um w- w- let's go make contact he was waiting for his backup as we as we knock on the door this lady who fits the description answers and we start talking with her we said are you, now something going on and she's like yeah i'm really upset and we're like, now, what are you, who are you, what's going on? Why are you like, why are you so upset? What's causing this? Who's, who's in the house with you? She's like, oh, it's my husband. And I'm not mad at him. And my two other kids are in there and I'm not mad at them. Why? And this lady is angry. We're like, why, why are you now? What, explain to us what's going on. She's like, my daughter left. Oh, okay, ma'am. Now, now your daughter left. Is she okay? Yeah, she's she's eighteen. She moved out and is she doing good? Yeah, yeah. She's living on her own. She's she's going to college. She's enrolled at Palomar. Everything's going great. And the officers are like So why are you like Now how now how did you get upset? She's like, I just had anxiety over this and I can't I I I'm not a drug user. I, I asked the doctor if he could give me something just to settle my nerves. And he asked, can I do a drug test on you in order to do this, to try to figure out what's going on? We're like, well, lady, that's sort of normal because doctors want to see what's going on. And, and you, this doesn't make sense. Now, how long ago was this that your daughter moved out? Was this like this weekend? And she's like, no, it was five months ago. And then I'm sitting there kind of like, I don't, I don't say much, but this lady's just working herself up. And the officers like, lady, you're doing what everybody else is trying to do, the, to raise their kids up so that they would go to school, get a job, be self-sustaining. And your daughter's doing it. And I finally was like, you, you, well, she said something. She's like, yeah, now my husband's not getting happy. I'm like, well, Thanksgiving's coming. And I look at her, and I'm like, you, you know, Thanksgiving's coming. It's just right around the corner. Why don't you have this Thanksgiving party? And she's like, well, I've been acting crazy. And my my daughter's probably not going to want to come around. I'm like, well, stop it! <laughs> just cut it out! Like, just don't do that anymore. Stop acting like you're you're getting like you're you're totally working yourself up and you're indulging in this sin and you're going to destroy your relationship. And I kind of look at the officers like, I'm sorry, I'll probably. They're like, no, Gunner, continue. Uh, and I'm like, listen, like. If you want to maintain this relationship, don't make self-fulfilled prophecy because of all this stuff. And as I'm saying this, I come to this passage and God looks at Cain. He's like, listen, you made a mistake. What you did wasn't right. I've told you how you can correct this. Sin's crouching around the corner. You've got to master it, that you have responsibility for your actions, and I, I love this picture of God, that he's, he's so patient, that there are do-overs. In verse 8, Cain told his brother Abel, you know, I don't have that little phrase highlighted, circled anything in my Bible. It's never really stood out to me. But I wonder, what, what did Cain say to his brother Abel? You're a real jerk. He had to go and offer animals and do it right, and now I got God lecturing me, and now I now I gotta I need to buy a le- or trade some carrots for a goat and what are you gonna, or sheep or whatever like what like I've now got to barter with you who did it right and I did it wrong and I'm pretty ticked I I have no idea what he said the Bible just says after God lectures him essentially then Cain told his Abel. And it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And I get this just rage letting out on Abel. God, you want blood? I'll give you a blood sacrifice. Here's my brother. You want a perfect? Well, here's perfect. I'll kill perfect. Just anger. The first war in the Bible is over worship. And it continues to this day. And then God comes and says, hey, where's Abel? God knows where Abel is. What am I, my brother's keeper? Oh, his blood (laughs) cries out from the ground. I know what you did, and you're going to have a consequence for this. Now, going back to 1 John. John has just told us. We've heard it from the beginning to love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. So we see this this contrast from John, that there's the righteous, that Abel was the righteous one. Cain, of the devil, the evil one, slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? John, that's a great question. Like, this is, the, the Bible doesn't necessarily give parameters, that like, hey there was this sacrifice was supposed to be done this way um he did it wrong but the bible does say some stuff and in in, uh in hebrews 11 verse 4 the great section on heroes of the faith which culminates in hebrews chapter 12 1 that there's so great a cloud of witnesses Watching and observing us. So because of these heroes of the faith that have gone before us. You run the race because they're in heaven applauding us. One of the first people mentioned is Abel. And it said Abel operated in faith. And it was credited to him as righteousness. And observing Cain and Abel. There seems to be from what John says following his question here as soon as i find it in my bible this has been one of those past. why did he slay him because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous so so there is this what he did was considered evil in his offering abel's were righteous and as we unpack this from hebrews 11:4 it seems to be the condition of their hearts And when I examine the scriptures, as I look through what God expects of us, he seems to be most concerned with with the the condition and the state of our heart. And this is. This is difficult. And we all are going to sit here and say, oh, I never killed anybody like Cain. I might have a little bit of anger, but certainly, certainly not like this. I'm, I can pretty much assure you that everybody sitting in this room right now, if I asked how many of you identify with Cain, none of us would raise our hand. There would be one or two stubborn people that would prove me wrong by raising their hand right now after I said it, but not before. All of us are saying, oh, yeah, that's the them. That's not the me. And we're so good with doing that with Scripture that we can see others. that, Oh, this it would be. I just wish so-and-so was here right now because, man, they need to hear this. No, you we need to hear this. Listen, he goes on to say, because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Now, some commentators look at this and say, well, it's not just the them and the us. But because he brought in Cain, he highlights that within the body, there are those that are not believers. He's already told us that there were those that were of us. Or from us, but they were not of us. And they went out and they're teaching these heresies. They're trying to lead you away. Jesus said that that the wheat is going to grow with the tares. And then he's going to sort it out at the end. When I look at this, within the body of Christ, who he's addressing to love one another. That within the body, there's still worship wars going on like Cain and Abel. That you can be in the church. You can love you can act righteously, you can with good heart worship God, and then those who call themselves Christian can be critical. I hear it of that kind of music. I hear it on both sides. Oh, the old hymns, those are old and outdated. They don't love the, this generation. They just want to be legalistic. Which may be true for some. But then I hear those, "Oh, this new music's just not of the Lord." And it's like, no, worship's about the condition of the heart. It's not about the external. And I and I see it both ways. There's these great wars, and so often when you're walking with the Lord, you're acting in faith, you're trying to please Him. There are those that will be critical, both within the church who are operating according to the world system, and from outside of the church. And the 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 point of Abel or Cain in this is what I see is that there's. When you start living for the Lord and you try to honor Him as you live your life, those who may not be it sort of bu- it, it, it sort of shines light on their life. I, I, I get it all the time as a chaplain, especially around law enforcement guys or, or old SEAL buddies. I'll just be hanging out. I I don't look at them weird when they use foul language or anything like that. I just kind of go about. And just basically work in that environment to like go, okay, Gunner, have this invisible shield around me. Don't let I, my greatest fear, my nightmares are that suddenly while preaching, I start using all my old profanity, which is, has been in my heart. But I, God's been doing a work and cleaning out. It hasn't happened to date. Thankfully, the dreams are there. But, but when I put, go into these environments to be the light of Christ, I, I, I immerse myself in the old culture that I came from. And I don't swear around the guys. I don't try to be like them in that sense. But all the time it happens that they'll start swearing. And they'll go, oh, I'm, I'm sorry for offending you chaps. Like, you didn't offend me. There's somebody else you might be offending. Like, but, but certainly, you're not offending me. And I think what happens is that when people are exposed to righteousness and those, those living their lives, it shines a light on their unrighteousness. And, and through that, God, through his spirit, begins to convict people. And then their conviction, oh, man, like this impurity in my heart, the things I'm saying, the things I'm joking about. They translate it as, oh, this guy is judging me because I feel this in my heart. He must be judging me. And it's not necessarily that this person's judging them, but it's that God is judging them and convicting them of their sin, And so he says, when you're acting like Abel and you're lived, don't be surprised when the attack comes. Jesus said, if they hated me, you're not greater than the master. They put Jesus to death for his righteousness. They put him to death because he not only claimed to be God, but he authenticated it to them. Verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren this is really a beautiful, this, this picture of passing from death into life, your old life before Christ in Adam, in death, in sin, that through Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says that when you're, you're baptized by the spirit into the body of Christ, that upon believing, you're given new life. Jesus in John 3, 7, as Nicodemus came to him and he starts explaining that you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? I'm like 60 years old. He doesn't say 60 years old. Am I supposed to then like crawl back into my mother's womb and be born again? That's impossible. And Jesus looks at him. He says, you are a, you're a spiritual leader over all the people. And you don't understand these most basic biblical teachings that we're in sin and that, that God wants to transform us this new life. And he says in John 3, 7, don't be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Going on to Ephesians 1, 13, Paul says that after hearing the gospel, the death, burial and resurrection of Christ, that when you believe that you're sealed in the spirit, that you have new life in Christ. It's all about believing. That's where the new life happens. Now, John says, verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life he doesn't say that you pass from death into life by loving one another but that the evidence of this transaction in the spiritual realm is evidenced by the love that comes out i love gardening like i have a green thumb when i'm stressed out like i'll i'll just go water i'll cut things i'll think and one of the things i like planting fresh seedlings you you could put a ten seeds in and maybe seven will sprout up you put them in there there's seeds there's you've done everything you're supposed to do and then within a couple weeks three weeks four weeks all of a sudden that little green shoot comes up and it's like yes there's life and 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 that's the evidence for us, the little like the, the seed goes in that we have the spirit, the our little green shoot that comes out of the ground. Once we've come to Christ, is just that suddenly we start loving other people like that. The people within the body of Christ, there's this love that wasn't there before. Because we're doing the Keith Green thing, I've been listening to a lot of Keith Green pumping myself up. We've been in the car. We've been we've been jamming the Keith Green CDs to kind of prepare the kids. And there's one song by Keith Green that says, you put this love in my heart. And these are some of the lines from it. Because your love has released me. And this is terrible because I want to start rocking out. Maybe I should just have Don come up and sing it on the spot. I don't even know if he's doing this song. He says, because you, your love has released me from all that's in my past. And when I know I can believe in you, when you say I'll never be forsaken, your love is going to last There's so much more I should say if I could just find a way you put this love in my heart. Is it all real or just a dream? I feel so good. I should scream. You put this love in my heart. I want to know where the bad feelings go when I'm depressed and I get down so low. And then I see you coming to me and it's all right. You put this love in my heart. You put this love in my heart. You put this love in my heart. And so when we come to God, we recognize how much he loves us, that we believe upon him. We we recognize that our old life in in Adam produces all of this sin and shame. And we come to him and we recognize that his work on the cross totally and completely forgives us, cleans us, renews us. And and we're told that we're sealed with the spirit, that we that God indwells us. And that this great love is in our hearts. And suddenly the way we view the world is different. We love one another. We treat one another kindly. And it's evidence of this new life that we know we have passed out of death into life. You going a bunch of doing a bunch of good deeds. That's not how you're saved. It's not works. But when you're transformed by the grace of God. Your life changes and there's assurance in seeing a changed life. If you guys only knew me 15 years ago, you would be praying for me. Oh, that boy, he's he's he needs some help to see what God's done. It's evidence how I love people now, which which I was filled with anger probably 20, 25 years ago. Now I love and I see people on the street that before I would have been like irate with that my heart just breaks for them because God loves them, that Christ died on the cross for them. And then he goes on to say, he who does not love abides in death. That's pretty severe. John, this old man who's done, walk in the fine line, or he never really watered things down. He was extreme on one end, he's extreme on the other end. He says, if you don't love you're abiding in death let that sink in the next time that you have anger in your heart and that you have unloving feelings towards someone everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life in abiding in him look at this progression you're to love then he then it goes down to like if you have hate for your brother then you're a murderer and no murderer has eternal life. This reminds me, when I was going through hell week, I don't know what day we were on. We were like on the fourth day of training. And one of the instructors, who I'm still dear friends with today, I have the boat over my head with the seven other guys. The boat was filled with sand. It was terribly heavy. We were extremely tired. We couldn't hold it up, and it kept collapsing. We we're, we're like crying or moaning and groaning trying to get this boat up and he came over and he he's from the south so he has sort of a twangy accent and he's a guy that can talk and talk and talk and get into your head and he's there going are you guys kidding me this boat is only 95 pounds there are seven of you seven times this this like by the time he worked through his whole schematic with my tired mind it's like there's like only three pounds you're each lifting how in the world do you think you're gonna make it in the seal teams and i remember sitting there going man this is like yeah it's probably santa it probably does work out somehow the math made sense to me like what am i doing here and i look at this and i see this from like john's like if you have hate, you're a murderer. How did you make this connection? And so many times we look at Jesus and there's people that say, Oh, like the, the Old Testament, that stuff is like just it doesn't it doesn't connect with the New Testament. Jesus is love and joy and peace and just just wearing his tie dyed t shirt and is all about love and go and easy and just forgive everybody. It's so not the case. If you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. And on Matthew chapter 5, we get into this sermon on the mount. This is a mount on the, the northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee. You go up there. It's a beautiful field. And you overlook the Sea of Galilee jesus has huge crowds following him at this point he gets the crowds he places them i'm suspecting up on the hill just from being there putting his back to the sea of galilee so that his voice could move and in the midst of his sermon he says this you've heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. Okay, he's pulling from the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments, you should not murder. You've heard it said. Now then Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come present your offering. This is not the Jesus that that our culture comes under. Just forgive everybody. Oh, the Old Testament, that was just for them. It's not for the now. Jesus comes in and he says, listen, you heard that if you murder somebody, it's wrong. I say, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer because of what's in your heart. He would go on to say, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But if you've looked with lust, you're an adulterer. Talk about raising the standard incredibly high. And I think that the point of what Jesus is doing is he's showing us. The depravity of our own hearts and our desperate need for divine intervention in our lives. Going back to 1 John chapter 3. So then we get to verse 16. And he says, we know love by this. That he laid down his life for us. Listen, how do you define love? If if you went to our culture and you started asking people, I, I, I would believe that most people would describe love as sort of like a you know the the little cute teddy bear feeling in your heart the butterflies this this emotion feeling that's love it's how i feel based on a given sort of event or if somebody gives me something oh that's love if i receive this it's all based upon the reception but john says in verse 16 we know love by this that he, that's Jesus, he laid down his life for us. He, back in Genesis chapter 3, when the first promise of the Messiah's coming came, when he looked out at sinful man, when God in the heavens looked at sinful man, he said, we got to make a plan to figure out how we're going to restore humanity They said, well, we're going to go down. I'll bear the I'll be man. I'll live the perfect life. And then you place the punishment on me. I'll pay the fine. I'll pay the consequence so that those who believe can be credited with my righteousness. John says that's love, sacrificial love. Husbands, when we're told to love our wives as Christ loved the church, this is what that means. He goes on to say, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren that that we should love one another, that we should be willing to sacrifice your life for others. And I tell you, in the last 10 years, I've constantly been bombarded with stories that hit so close to home, because we look at this and it's it's so in the realm of. Of never going to happen. But in the last 10 years, for me, I've had dear friends, Mikey Mansour, who I put through training, that he was in a room with his four other guys, one of which was my brother-in-law. And a a grenade comes into the room, and then he jumps on it, saving the other guys. Another guy, Lieutenant Mike Murphy, with a bunch of other guys to get out one guy. He knew he would be killed, but he had to go up the hill to make a cell phone call to get support to them. He went up there. Both of these guys awarded the Medal of Honors. Yesterday, my good friend, I get word as this is not political. This for me, it's not a political thing. My good friend, Glenn Doherty, who I spent hours like with hanging out, drinking coffee, freezing on the ocean, like doing all sorts of stuff. Then as the story of Benghazi starts unfolding, to hear that they're the CIA base, knowing that the embassy is being attacked, they're being told not to not to go help. Him and Ty, who is another friend of mine, basically make the journey there, the journey in itself, they're putting their lives at risk. And then they go and they fight to their deaths to get some 30-plus people out. I look at that and I go, man, we were like... We were all kind of kids going through SEAL training. We all kind of grew up in the teams and we're just friends. None of us are martyrs and you never you train for stuff, but it's like, ah, will this actually come to come to bear. And these guys that I would tease and tape up and give noogies to and, you know, harass to see that these guys would then be placed in this position where they made this decision that unless I do this, they're going to die and i'm willing to go die for the sake of protecting them oh i don't know if i could do that only if we're in that situation and this is kind of one of those things that you got you get like a one-time chance this isn't something you do over and over again and john tells us this is how we're to love we should lay down our lives for the brethren and again, I don't know how many of us could raise our hand. I could, even me, I'm not, saying, like, I'm not like saying you guys can't, but I'm willing to raise my hand. This is like my, I would hope that I would lay down my life for the brethren, but obviously I'm alive, so I've never done it. But then he goes on to say verse 17. See, this is so out of the realm. We could volunteer. Oh, yeah, I would do that, but try to call me on it. Like, you know, like, if, unless you're in that situation. But then in verse 17, he says, we know love by this. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 17. But whoever lay, has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart to, to, against him, how does the love of God abide in him? He asks this sort of question. If you see a brother in need, you have resources and you don't respond to the How does the love of God? You know, Romans twelve one says, brethren by the mercies of god i i urge you i beg of you make give your bodies as living sacrifices not a dead sacrifice a living sacrifice that you can repeat in some ways i think that this is harder than the giving your life this is you have your world's goods you see people in need help them this week i, I like i tell you i'm humbled because our church is made up of generous people. And I see people. I have resources. And, and, and this, isn't, like, this isn't somebody who's like won the lotto. This is just a normal person who says, I have these goods. I see the significance in this. I want to contribute to help them. I've seen it time and time again in this church. I want to help. I want to share what God has blessed me. The whole saying, we are blessed so that we can be a blessing. This is love. The world tells us to hold on to clean. God says, have open arms. I've entrusted you with it. Use it. I'll replenish. Trust me with it. To demonstrate love in this way and for me, like I am so spoiled to be in this position that I see both ends of it. The, the person saying, I, I'd like to do this, and I believe that there are other people that would want to join me in blessing these people trying to make this spiritual journey and then i get to go to the people who are like i really want to go but i like financially this is all i can do to say you know what god's provided and to see tears in their eyes going i'm so humbled to see god working through people it's a this is love verse 18 i would encourage us to memorize if you take anything from this little children this is his warm heart towards his believers the grandfather of the church let us not love with word or with tongue don't just say you love but in deed and in truth And I don't know what this looks like in each of your lives, but as I've been reflecting on this, within your families, within your marriages, may, we all, there's different types of love. But it might mean that you need to like spend time with your your wife or your husband to say, hey, I, want, I love you and I want to give you my time. I want, to, I want to cut out a portion that we can be together. To your kids, not just that you put food on the table, but you know what? I love you so much. I, let let me read a book. I have read a book because I've been sitting down with my, with with the kids and like reading the missionary stories. Like to tangibly give of yourself that demonstrates love. This, in many ways, is so much harder than giving of your life. Not not taking away from laying down your life, but the whole living sacrificially. This this heart of tangibly saying, you know what? I love you. I want to be like the son of the, the father of the prodigal son that regardless of his son's actions, he continues to love, not for the hope of changing the person, but because he loves his son. And if his son changes, well, great, praise the Lord. But I'm going to continue loving you, son, because Christ, while I was yet a sinner, he died for me. I did nothing deserving of it. And this love that's been put in my heart, I'm going to just continue to love and to love and to love. And I have no idea what God's calling you to do this week. But I would memorize this verse and ask yourself, how can I tangibly love the people around me? If you pray the prayer, Lord, use me this week, Lord, help me to not only see opportunities that I can demonstrate love, but give me the courage to actually follow through. You'd be surprised what God will place in you. And it, it cracks me up. L- little things that God's challenged me with. Like in Chipotle a couple years ago, I see a law enforcement guy, two people behind me. And I say, oh, how embarrassing. I'll buy the guy the burrito. Feel like God, and I, and I went up and said, hey, you know what? I'm a, I'm a chaplain, I'm a Christian, and I want to just, I thank you for your service, and I want to buy you a burrito. I can't tell you how horrifying that was for me to do that. But there are little things that God will do and respond to him. And Father, I do thank you, Lord, that you are a God of love. Lord, I ask that you would help each one of us to get a greater picture of your love. As we continue through this letter of first John, we're going to see that John tells us that you are love. We see through Christ's example on the cross that this is the love that we are to embody, that you challenge us, Lord. The sin in our heart that's so easy to jump on being critical of others. Father, we confess this to you. Lord, we pray that you would take all anger, all unrighteousness. Lord, help us to abide in Christ. Father, continue the work that you began in our lives. And if there are people here who haven't come to a saving knowledge of Christ, Lord, I pray that you would help them to trust in Christ as Savior and that all of us together would would walk our lives in a way seeking to please you. Lord, help us to love in deed and in truth. Show us practical, tangible ways, Lord, that we can demonstrate um, this love that you've placed in our hearts. We love you, Father, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.